Hi, Saya Wimala. Uh, give me one second. I just forgot to turn off the AC. Sorry, it was a little too noisy. It's hot outside uh, and some construction going on around me somewhere. It's Aya Wimala and it's Friday, June 19th. Um, I wanted to sit today because we need to practice, right, and to keep being calm, but I wanted to share with you a little bit about my childhood. <laughs> I'm old enough that it's that I realize uh, most of you weren't born or were babies when I was a teenager. Um, I grew up in Houston, so now we're there's a lot of talk about how how real it is that very few people understand what June 19th celebrates and why it's a very symbolic day. And I guess I grew up in Houston, so I always I thought it was, you know, everywhere. But I always knew it was a holiday, and as a small child, I just knew it was a holiday that was for black people or colored people, which was the the term the the polite term used to talk about people who were black. Um, and so I knew I knew what it was. And uh, I know Galveston pretty well from, that was always where we'd go if we went to the beach. And I knew some people who lived there. Um, so it was always uh, just a holiday for them. And uh, it surprises me now that everybody doesn't know that because we have such diverse communities and cultures um, there's so much diversity, so there's so much we know what Cinco de Mayo is. and uh, But I understand, too, it was it might have been more of just a southern holiday. Not uh, uh, I don't know if it was, it was definitely not a public holiday, but we understood the importance of the day, and that was about it. But I just wanted to share a few of the experiences I had growing up in uh, Texas, in Houston, and I was in uh, junior high and high school in the 60s. But when I was younger, in the 50s, I remember going to the grocery stores and seeing that there were different, there were two big, uh, there was a, there were, it was a water fountain, and then there was another water fountain over to the side that said, for coloreds, and I never knew what that word meant. I never understood why there were two different water fountains. And, you know, I was a kid, so I had to walk. They always had steps for kids to walk up, so there were, it was like a little three-step thing always at the water fountains. And, uh, and I decided I would go up and see if there was something different about the water or uh, why they had a separate one for coloreds. And uh, I had to make sure my mom, you know, there wasn't an adult who was going to tell me not to do it. And I remember looking around and um, walking up and drinking water out of that water fountain. And the water tasted just the same. What I did notice is that they didn't clean the one that separate one that was over to the side, they didn't clean that the same way they cleaned the one that was the, the one, I guess, for whites. 
Um, and I always, as a really little kid, I wondered why, why they didn't take care of that one the same way they did the other one. And it wasn't really, uh, I mean, for a while, my mom went back to work. Uh, we were just a working class family, so she couldn't stay at home and just be a full-time mom when we were all in school, all, there were three of us. But when she went back to work, she had someone who came maybe one or two days or half days a week, and it was a black woman, and she brought either her son or maybe it was her grandson, and he was about the same age as my younger brother. So the three of us would play together. And uh, all I can remember is I was really curious about his hair and that his mom was a really good cook. And uh, the day she would come, she would make dinner. So there would be dinner when my parents got home. <clears throat> and I don't have... I don't have a lot of different memories, but but he was a friend that we played with and had a good time with when the three of us were little. My older brother was probably off doing his own thing. But then when I went to college, I went to Texas Woman's University in Denton, Texas, and it was an all-girls school. They still had those then. And uh, I, I lived in the co-op dormitory, and... A lot, the, more than half of the students at that university were, were black, and then, they, the, so the white students were in the minority. And that was where I had my first really good black friends, and I started learning about the black culture in Texas and what these friends had had to go through. It was a real awakening for me, and it was a real, you know, I knew, I knew. I wasn't ignorant about civil rights and what was going on with civil rights, but uh, I didn't realize what they had gone through personally and had to experience. So when their families traveled to visit relatives, same way our family did, you know, we we didn't have air conditioning in the car when I was younger. So even if we were making a four-hour trip, that was a long trip. So we always had to stop and go to the bathroom and get more gas and sometimes the car would break down so we had to deal with that but we always had my mom and dad always had a few places they really liked to stop so there was one town that we'd stop and they'd get coffee of course and uh, they even had little playgrounds for kids and there were some that we really loved to stop at and then uh there was another place that had just a restaurant, but it had wonderful pie. So we'd stop there on some trips, and we'd get bakery items to take to my aunt. So what I found out was from my black friends at college, and I was 18, that when they went on trips with their family, they couldn't go into any of those restaurants, and they certainly couldn't use the public bathrooms, the uh, toilets. And that was, uh, it was very rare, but, you know, we be, I began to notice that there were even, in restaurants in Houston, there were even different restaurant restrooms for colored people. And it, would there be uh, one for men and women, and then somewhere back in the back of the restaurant or little cafe, there, there would probably be one bathroom that said it was for coloreds. They didn't have two separate ones for men and women. So maybe gender equality was at work in one sense, even back then. Um, 
anyway, I found out from my friends that when their families traveled, they, they didn't have, there were no bathrooms available, and they couldn't go in the same little cafes in the small, tiny little country towns that we did. And what they would do is uh, their parents would bring little potties and they just had to go out wherever they could stop and uh, find a find a private spot and do that. And I also knew as I grew up there were all there were often these little um, things that like little ladders that went up both sides of a fence. So you'd see in the back sometimes of a gas station, it was like a little ladder that went up and then went back down on the other side. And that's often how they assume that uh, black people would, they would go out into the field and that's where they do their business. And uh, I learned a lot of things about how they were treated and it was, it was incredible because I can remember I, had, I just had not known any of this. But I learned a lot of wonderful things too, like they taught us how to dance, and that was when soul music was really big in the country, so we would have uh, dance lessons. And of course I'd never danced because we couldn't do that in my church, so I had incredible dance teachers. I could, you know, all the Man, I can't even go into that. That was a whole experience. Uh, and uh, I learned about black people's hair and how they had to, what they had to endure with their hair, just to uh, the stories about you know how they would their hair would be ironed and all the time it took. And I had some some of the probably smartest and best friends I had in college for that year were were black women. And um, it, it really affected the rest of my life. I mean, it, it really informed me about things that I hadn't grown up with. I lived in such a, a segregated area that we were, we were blind to, uh, to, the, to the, we were blind to what was going on for people. It wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I really started opening my eyes and then, then I thought, well, maybe a good thing to do is to, I, I, I can remember my boyfriend and I found a group of kids in the Fifth Ward. Uh, some organization set us up with this group of kids, so we took them on a picnic. And, and I thought that was something I could do for them, to expose them to some world that they probably never got to go see the battleship of Texas or uh, some of the, I mean, it, I was so, I was, I was so misguided. But, but I knew that, uh, that that's when I woke up and it was studying about this, it was studying civil rights issues in, in uh, government classes in high school and studying history. But it, I think for the rest of my life, I've been just aware of how much we don't know, depending on how we grow up and how we live. <clears throat> so it's important for us to know as much as we can about the world. It's important for us to, um, to try to see things that we know are there, but we, don't, we, we want to avoid because we don't know how to deal with it or we don't know how to make it different or, different, or uh, we 
there we all have such hidden prejudice, hidden stereotypes, and we have that racial bias. And uh, I'm sure my parents moved to the first house that they had outside of the kind of the maybe the, it, they always lived in Houston, but when the suburbs first began to open up. And my youngest memory was that uh, one of my younger memories is when we first moved to that house. And my parents always said that we moved to that house because they had a really good school district. And, and I don't know how conscious or unconscious it was with them. But uh, I'm sure when I look back now, it was a good school district, but it was moving away from the center of Houston and where the, and where the schools were then having more of the race, racial. In the future, they would have more issues around race. But I'm sure my parents, part of it being a good school district to them was, it was all white people. So there was a kind of sheltering and a kind of uh, thinking that the schools would be better. And they they bought they bought a house that was in, you know, outside the Houston school district. So uh, I like to think when I was an older teenager that I wasn't didn't. Uh, couldn't couldn't be racist because I'd never been unkind or said anything or felt anything uh, negatively towards other races. But that was only because I had had no exposure to them and I hadn't really had any training. Um, I certainly never had any bad experiences. So I was kind of priding, I was feeling pride in myself that I was uh, not racist from the South, but not racist, not racist, but what I wasn't aware of, it was because I'd been living on a little island, you know, I had, so that then it was intentionally done. It's kind of like the Buddha's parents trying to, um, like his father trying to keep him from seeing sickness, old age, and death, and also the possibilities of something different. Uh, so he was protected. And when he realized what he was missing out on, he had to move out into the world and see what this suffering was all about. And I really feel like my working class family, that our parents were trying to protect us by moving out to the suburbs, the, the new suburbs and the working class suburbs. They wanted to protect us. And, uh, and instead it was just creating more segregation and, uh, well, you have to go out and learn about the world one way or another. But I just wanted to share that with you, not really to make a point, but just to share. We all have really different, uh, we, we all have really different stories and experiences, and I think it's good to just look at them occasionally. So that's, that's enough of my history, right? Okay, so let's... Um, Let's sit together because there's so much going on in the world, and there's so much uh, uh, there's so much at stake, and we have we're beginning to see how much of a lack of information we have about some of the issues and the things that we need to know to make the right decisions or uh, who to turn to is just there's a real void, 
And so, again, we have to be making our decisions from a very deep place of wisdom. And again, we, I can't stress enough how much we have to be doing everything with the concept of ahimsa, of harmlessness, and of loving kindness. Love and not anger. Kindness, we don't have to even call it love. Kindness, goodwill, instead of anger. And doing no harm to ourselves and no harm harm to other beings. And that's every decision we make. And we have to guard ourselves to not give in to um, what we see around us and what we hear and old old prejudices that come up that were that were instilled in us when we were so young we didn't know they were being instilled in us and we have to always guard against that and stereotypes um, so I don't have any especially great news to share with you today yesterday the Supreme Court's decision about DACA was wonderful and today, you know, that we're being warned that it's not, it's not, it's not, was not the end of the, the war. It was a battle that was won, but the war is still going on. So we're back to, down to reality again, but a good temporary decision, a good move in the right direction for a lot of people in this country. So I'm still wanting to feel very good about that and hopeful hopeful for the future, of course. So, let's sit. We don't have a lot, we don't have a lot of minutes, so gently close your eyes if you can. If your baby's sitting, it might be better to keep your eyes open. very quickly just begin to focus on your breath. We're really observing our breath, that process. become completely immersed and focused and interested in your body breathing. 
in through your nostrils, out through your nostrils. Being aware of the elements as you breathe. Be aware of which senses are triggered. And in addition, just make sure your hand is resting on your belly so you can just feel that breath. Moving down below the top of our lungs, down into our bellies. Let everything else go. Very gently let things go. Just allow yourself to let your thoughts come and go. Don't hang on to them. Your attention is on your breath, not your thoughts. Just allow your mind to be calm.
Breathe in life. Breathe out life. Be with your breath and you're in the present moment. Everything is just all right, right now, in this moment. Now, if you're sitting and you're able to sit longer, please do and just enjoy the calm, peaceful way of being. And when you go out and are ready or have to get out into the, into the real world, whether it's our new normal or not, I have no idea. But when you move out, move out into the world beyond where you are right in this present spot. Try to take as much of the calmness and the peace with you into the day. And those of you who are, if you're going to keep sitting, just keep, keep sitting. And if you have to leave, Thank you again so much for allowing me to be right with you on these mornings or whenever you're watching. Thank you. See you Sunday. Bye-bye.